Uh, you may be seated. Our sermon text for today is um, <clears throat> First Samuel 17. Um, this is the one most of you probably know as David and Goliath. Um, and so there'll be an opportunity for four readers. Um, it's kind of a cool passage, so you should go up, just saying. Um, for the sake of time, we'll be skipping uh, reading verses 12 through 30. Um, so I'll start by reading verses 1 through 11 and then skip to 31 through 38, where uh, Sam or David and Saul are talking. Um, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, <clears throat> and they were gathered at Socah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Socah and Ezekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain in the valley on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. Um, the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went out before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you are not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were, dis they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Skipping to verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them, them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go up to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David with his armor 
he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to go. For he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in his appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give your dead body to the hosts of the Philistines this day. I will, sorry, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it, and he struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. Go ahead. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled, and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shot and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and gates of Ekron, so that he would, that the wounded Philistines fell off on the way from Sharon as far as Gath and they and and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered, yep. plundered their camp, camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, what he put in his armor in, the, in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, 
Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as, sir, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down of the Philistine, uh, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. The word of the Lord. Uh, dear God, I ask that you would help everyone here to be hearers and also doers of the word. Um, help us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Prepare our hearts um, to do your will and um, give us a desire to chase after your character. Um, I ask that you'd help us to trust in you as David did and not to rely on technology or extensive training like Goliath. Um, help us to fear no evil, because we know that you are with us always, and the battle belongs to you. Um, I ask that for your blessing upon Andrew this morning as he preaches in this passage. Um, Lord, guide his words by your spirit, and give him clarity of thought um, as he teaches today. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Xander. Martin Luther, who was the German reformer, was a little surprised. Uh, he was in the midst of one of his pretty well-known uh, depression times. He really struggled with these dark moods that would come over him. And he was surprised one morning when he came down to breakfast and his wife, Katie, was dressed all in black, as if for a funeral. And uh, he wasn't aware of who died, and so he's like, Katie, you're, you're dressed all in black. Like, who, who died? Like, what, what happened? And she said, well, Arthur, or Arthur, <laughs> well, Martin, uh, the, uh, the way you've been moping around here, I, I thought that God had died, and so I wanted to mourn along with you the passing of our Lord. And uh, Martin got the point. Uh, the point being that though he had all this right theology, uh, his actions weren't always following it. Uh, and in particular, uh, this case, uh, he knew that God was sovereign, God was on the throne, that God loves his children, and yet uh, he, he was not able to shake this depression. He was not able to shake the dark mood, and, and he was living like those things weren't true. There's always that tension in life, isn't there, uh, between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Uh, right thinking, what do we believe uh, to be true about the world, about us, about our lives, about our enemies, all of these things, uh, and then right doing, uh, orthopraxy, how do, we, how do we follow that up? What do we what do? We do? Uh, sometimes it's, you know, in Luther's case, he, he had all the right orthodoxy, it was his orthopraxy in this particular moment, 
that needed to be corrected. Other times, uh, we can be acting in accordance with what we believe, but actually what we believe needs to be uh, uh, needs to be fixed, needs to be adjusted in order for us to be able to act in a way that brings glory to God, act in a way that reflects uh, that God is actually on His throne. And I think you have this tension here in the story. Uh, we have uh, a situation that is confronting Israel, uh, a situation that is cr- uh, confronting the Philistines, and you have different groups of people uh, acting in different ways. You have one group of people who is seeing the world through uh, the vision that all the different giants in this story keep spouting forth, and then you have uh, David who is seeing the world very differently. He's seeing it through God's eyes. Uh, And you'll notice that it it makes a a radical difference, like which lens are you looking through? Which, what what is determining uh, how you perceive, how you act, all of these different things? And we want to know this because we all face challenges. You know, whether they are personal challenges, or a rift in your family, something that you're just not sure of and you've got to, you've got to work through. It could be a wound in your heart. Uh, it could be a physical diagnosis. It could be a besetting sin. You, you face challenges in your life. Sometimes they're more societal. I mean, we look out into our world and we see things like poverty and racism and uh, we see violence and, and we see wars and natural disasters and all of these things, you know, how are we going to understand these things? How are we going to engage these things with our heart and with our lives? Well, it's going to make a big difference uh, which lens you're looking through. So two lenses. The first is the giant's lens. And there's three giants in this story. Have you picked up on that? There's obviously Goliath. He's giant number one. Uh, Who is the second giant? Saul. He is giant number two. The third giant we didn't actually read about, but if you know the story, we came across him before. Anybody know? Eliab, the the brother, all three of these are introduced by way of their height into the story. They're all tall men. Uh, They're all people who who tower above others. You know, Saul is a head and shoulder above others, and then you come to Goliath, and and he is a head and shoulders uh, above Saul. And all of them are purporting almost the same formula of what it looks like to to conquer your problems. And the formula is there in your bulletin, at least as I've identified it, is you take the combination of physical gifts, proper training, uh, and the right technology, and if those are all applied in, in proper measure, proper proportion, they are going to lead you to the kind of self-actualized confidence uh, that you want or need in order to face the problems in your life. Now, obviously, Goliath 
does this in spades, and there's sort of this progression between Eliab and Saul and Elias or Goliath, and, and Goliath really takes this forward. Uh, his physical traits uh, of all three of these guys are are talked about the the height, the 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 strength, the prowess that they have. We can expand this to think about our own lives. What are some of the things that we look at? It may not necessarily be physical height uh, or shortness or you know muscles or all of that, though it could be. It could be our beauty, our attractiveness. Uh, it could also be just the gifts and talents that we have. Some of you are really good at sports, and, and that's where you are saying, I'm going to win my battles because of this, or your intellect, or your music. We, we come endowed with things that we really haven't earned and, and we don't deserve, uh, but we, we begin to trust these things as being the, the solid places that we can stand as we begin to fight our battles. And it's not only that, it's also the training. We have a couple of times in here, you know, just the, the greenness of, of David being highlighted when he comes to the camp and he initially interacts with Eliab and Shammah, his brothers there. Um, we didn't read that section, but they're like, what, what are you doing here? You're, you're not a warrior, you just are a sheep tender. Uh, and, and Saul says the same thing. When David comes to him and says, I'm ready to go forward and fight Saul, he's like, you can't do that. You, you are but a youth, and he has been a fighting man since his youth. He has got all of this training. You have got none of the training. You can't presume to go forward and, and fight against Goliath. But how often do we think about, you know, conquering problems through more information? You know, if we just simply have the right training, if somebody teaches us, I mean, we, we do that personally. We've tried to do this societally. You know, we, we can think about problems of, of poverty and all of these different things. We think if we can only educate people, then they will know just the right training. But it doesn't deal with the heart. It doesn't deal with where we are in and of itself. None of these things are bad by themselves uh, or, or in themselves, but they are bad by themselves, and they're bad when we begin to rely on them, certainly over God. The last thing that we see is the right technology. Now, we see it, you say, well, I didn't see any technology in, in this passage, but it's there. Uh, when you read about the armor of Goliath, uh, a helmet of bronze armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had bronze armor on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung beneath, between his shoulders. I mean, here is a guy who is in the latest and greatest that the Bronze Age had to offer to them. You know, big plates. I mean, so this guy just looked like, you know, he had all of these scales of armor. I think somewhere it said his armor weighed about 125 pounds in and of itself. He had uh, the spears. And then you notice that his spear is tipped with iron. So the Iron Age comes after the Bronze Age. So this is literally the carbide steel or the graphite or whatever it is that we have that is cutting edge. This is cutting edge. And Goliath is standing there 
just, you know, plated in all of this, saying, I am sufficient in and of myself. Because of what I have, I can take you out. And notice when David comes to Saul later on in the passage that we were reading this morning, what is the first thing that Saul does in order to uh, equip in his mind David to meet Saul? He puts his armor on him. He says, you've got to have the right tech. You cannot go into battle without the right stuff. You've got to have it. And we have so much of the same attitude. You know, it's the stuff that we have that is going to help us in conquering our enemies or our problems that go before us. If we have the right 401k, I mean, money is our technology. You know, if we, if we have the, the right amount of this, then we can throw it at this problem and we can take care of it. You know, if we have the right education, uh, if we have uh, the right car, if I have the right makeup, I mean, it could literally be our technology. If I have my iPhone, if I have the, the computer system, all of these things, again, not bad in themselves, but bad as a basis, bad as the bottom line, the bedrock of things that we can trust in. But for each of the giants in this story, for Eliab, for Saul, for Goliath, their thinking is, if you just have this in the proper measure, it's going to lead to what you see in Goliath. It's going to lead to this confidence. Goliath comes out, and he stands, and he says, Why have you not come out and drawn for battle? This is verse 8. Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to you. And, and Goliath is just working out of his framework. He's just saying, I've got my stuff. Where is your guy with your stuff? And of course, this is supposed to be Saul. You know, you remember when the Israelites said that they wanted a king, what is it that they said? They said, we want a king like the other nations who will go out and fight our battles. Uh, and, and Saul has had some of the success in battle as the Lord's anointed one. He is, uh, if you read in chapter 14, it talks about his victories over the, the Moabites and the Philistines and all of this. And, and yet Saul, because he's looking at himself alone and he's looking at the, the size of Goliath and he's not looking at the Lord, he is shrinking back and he is afraid. And it seems like, you know, when we look at this formula here, the giant size formula, uh, physical gifts, proper training, right technology, it's either going to give you the overconfident bravado uh, of the Philistine, uh, or you're going to look at yourself and you're going to despair because you're going to say, I'm not enough. I need more. So interesting. I was just listening to an interview this week with a, a non-Christian who was super successful, and, and they were talking about this not enoughness of life. And he, he, he confessed in that moment. He's like, I feel this all the time. You know, I'm a multimillionaire, but it's not enough. 
It's not enough. There's something more. And I, I just want to come through the podcast and talk to them and say, hey, I, I know what you're looking for. Uh, you're digging for yourself a, a broken cistern that cannot hold water. Uh, and, and that's what each one of these giants is offering to David, but David's not having any of it. He, he, is, he is not planting his flag there. He's planting his flag in another place. So what does that look like? Uh, it looks like having God's vision, and, and there are a couple of things that characterize this before we talk about what it produces. You know, you have proper motivation, or as I was thinking through it a little bit later on in the week, maybe, maybe a better way to put it is proper assessment. Uh, for, for Saul and for the Israelites, they were cowering in fear. You see that in verse 11. You see it in verse 24. Uh, that none of them, 40 days, this, uh, this giant is going out and he is calling out, send me a man. And there was not a man to be found uh, until David stepped forward and he said, you know, I'll, I'll go. They were only assessing, though, their risk in terms of losing their life, uh, becoming subjugated to the Philistines, losing their freedom. Like those were the things that were ultimate in their mind. And, and because those things were ultimate and because they didn't feel like they could go forward and sustain a, a winning battle, they, they held back. David's not looking through that lens at all. David is looking at this and he's saying, who is it that is defying the armies of Israel? Who is it that is defying the living God? Who is it that is defying the Lord of hosts? Who won't go forward and battle in the name of the Lord in order to bring glory to God? David has got a whole different calculus about what's going on on this field for Saul and for the Israelites. Their biggest thing is their life, their freedom. And, and, and that is as far as they could see. And, and the Goliaths of the world, Satan, uh, they're, they're great at bringing those things to us. Death. You know, we, we fear death. It's, it's this enemy that, that we, we can't really go through. It's sort of this opaqueness. Uh, but one of the things that the gospel wants to do is it wants us to, to take away the fear of death and to realize that there are bigger things at stake than whether we live or die. Uh, there are bigger things at stake. God's honor, God's glory, uh, the, the, the holding up of the beauty of God. Just thinking about this for ourselves and the assessment of the battles that we have uh, and just the, the fact that, that there is this greater glory. Again, think about that, you know, in terms of Jesus. Some of you remember in, in Hebrews chapter 12 where it says uh, Jesus, you know, like our, our champion, and we'll talk about that in a little bit more, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Yeah, so he was going to die. Jesus was going to die. But it, there was something greater 
that was his motivation. There was something greater that was allowing him to assess the situation. You know, a, a more modern example of this might be Jim Elliott, uh, the missionary to the Alcas. Uh, is that right? Uh, and, um, you know, he, he says he is no fool who will not give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, he, he had this assessment. He says, my life isn't the most important thing. You know, there, there is something greater to be gained here. The glory of God, e eternal life with him. And David has this same sort of vision. Saul locked in on the earthly plane. Goliath locked in on the earthly plane. Eliab, they're locked in there. David's seeing something different. And not only does it help him to have proper assessment, but it also helps him to have proper confidence. And there's two things here that really stand out. You know, one, obviously, is that David, though he is willing to step forward and to put himself in danger and to engage the giant, he acknowledges that the battle is the Lord's. And we have these couple different incidences where, where David talks about before Saul, you know, I've, I've fought the lion and I've fought the bear. Uh, great descriptions. I mean, he even grabbed the lion's beard. Uh, yet David is, is a significant dude. Uh, sometimes the pictures that we get on him are really wimpy and he's you know, like draped in this armor. I'm not exactly sure that's the best picture of David. I mean, David is a strapping young lad. He's just run from Bethlehem, taken an ephah of flour, uh, 10 loaves of bread, and 10 cheeses. They estimate that that's over like 50 pounds worth of, of goods. So he's just like military style, rucksacked it from Bethlehem out to Elah where this battle is taking place. But David is saying, I'm not trusting in my strength. The battle belongs to the Lord. It, it is the Lord's power that works through me. Uh, this combination of activity and trust is what we often talk about. Again, Francis Schaeffer uses this term, talks about active passivity. Like David has a responsibility to step forward and to engage the Lord. And we all have a responsibility to step forward. We have a responsibility to risk. David, there was a potential that he could be uh, harmed in this. We have that responsibility to step forward. But we do it resting on the knowledge that it is God who works through us. Uh, so, you know, Paul talks about this. He says, I, I strive with all the energy that is within me, knowing that it is God who works in me to will and to do. You know, it's, these, it's this type of paradox, and David recognizes this. He's like, yes, I have a responsibility, but it is God who gives the battle. And this is his theology at work. You notice that when David, the very first words in that section that we didn't read, the very first words that we have of David recorded in the Bible is the theology that God will fight for me. What he knows, his orthodoxy, 
is determining what he does, his orthopraxy. The second thing that, that David knows, though, and this is in the proper confidence, is, is not only does he know that the Lord will fight for him, but he knows that the Lord loves him. How do we know that from this passage? Notice verse 26 and verse 36. In verse, uh, both of those verses, uh, David says, um, the Lord who delivered me, oh, that's verse 37, uh, your servant has struck down both lion and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. So how does that, how do, how do we know from that verse that David knows that God loves him. Because as much as Goliath is uncircumcised, David and the armies of Israel are circumcised. They bear the sign of the covenant. They bear the, the physical manifestation that God saw them when they were weak, that God came to them when they were little, that God married them as his bride, that he set his affection on them, that out of all of the, the peoples of the earth, they were to be his treasured possession, a royal priesthood. That is what circumcision meant for the Israelites. Sometimes we read these and we think that David is like throwing stones verbally at the Philistine. He's not really saying that. What he's saying is, this is an uncircumcised person. This is, this is somebody who does not have what we have. We have the sign of the covenant. We have been brought into the family of God. Our Father speaks His blessing over us. We know that He loves us, that we are His treasured possession out of all of the nations. Why would I be afraid to go out against this one? Why would I be afraid when I know that even if I die, that I am safe in the hands of my Father. And this is the same story that we are in. This is the same story that we saw played out this morning. If you are a baptized person here this morning, God has spoken over you. And this is why it's so important that we get the sacrament right. This isn't about us speaking to God. This is about God speaking to us. This is about God coming over and saying, you are my child, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what I've done. And you belong to this covenant family. Yes, we have a responsibility uh, to respond to God's love, like David has a responsibility to say, I am the circumcised one. I can go forward. I have this comfort. I have this confidence. Uh, but this is what David knows, and it affects what he does. Now, 
many ways, it produces this profound champion. You know, we, we know the story. I mean, David and Goliath is all over our culture. We talk about David and Goliath stories all the time in sports and, you know, in countries and all of these different things. We know that David steps forward and he defeats Goliath. But this is where we need to do one other sort of hermeneutical move in order to make sure that we are getting the heart of the story uh, into our hearts uh, for our greatest benefit. So often, and really up until now, we've been looking at David versus the giants uh, of the story. And, and our tendency is to say, okay, we want to be like David. And of course, we do want to be like David. You know, we want to assess the world correctly. We have a responsibility to do that. We want to put our confidence in God in all of that. Uh, but the reality is, we are a lot more like Saul and the armies of Israel than we are of David. We are a lot more prone to, to hide and to cower and to, uh, to distrust rather than to be the ones who would step forward. We are more likely to trust our technology and our training and our physical gifts than we are to trust God. So what is it that's going to make the difference in our life? One of the things that's so interesting about this is as the Israelites are lined up uh, against the Philistines, they're, they, you see the text says they're lined up on these two hills. And in the middle of it, there's a valley. Uh, and Goliath is coming down and literally standing in the middle, uh, in the valley, and he's calling for somebody, somebody from Israel to come meet him and be their man in the middle. And, and this is where we recognize that this story isn't just about David. And it's not just about Goliath, and it's, just not, it's not just about the Israelites and the Philistines. This is the entire story of the Scriptures. Because what we see here is Goliath dressed in his scales, uh, demonstrating the picture of evil that always stands against the people of God. From the very beginning, there was a serpent and that serpent came and he tempted the people of God. And what did God say? He said, there's going to be a man. There's going to be a man in the middle. He's going to come from your seed. And their man in the middle is going to crush or bruise his heel. But this man in the middle is going to crush his head. And what's so interesting about it is that when we start talking about Jesus and we start talking about the victory of Jesus, we recognize that just like David, the victory comes by the very weapons that the enemy would wield against us. Did you see how the story plays out here, David? You know, David comes and he slings a stone. He, Saul tries to dress him in his armor. He says, no, I, I can't do this. He slings a stone. And there's some good battle strategy in here. Uh, David is always running 
throughout this passage. He's, he's going fast. He's using his speed. If you've got 125 pounds of armor on you, speed is not going to be your greatest asset. So, so David runs. He slings the stone. Some of you know that these stones are, are, are not small, and, and the projectile can get up to 100 to 120 miles an hour. So so this, there's some strategy, there's some skill involved in this, all of that. Uh, but when the giant falls, what does David do? He goes and he takes the giant's own sword. He disarms the giant and he uses it to strike off the head of the Philistine. You know, going backwards, we remember Dagon, the god of the Philistine, who fell down uh, at the foot of the ark, lost its head. You know, here the Philistine loses his head again. Going forward, what does the Apostle Paul say about the work of Jesus? He says he disarmed the rulers, the principalities, and powers, and he put them to rout by the cross. It was the enemy's own weapon that Jesus said, I am going to take your cross and I am going to use it to defeat you. I am going to use it to crush your head. And that's the promise of the gospel that we have here. You see, the, the, the greatest thing about this is not that we you know, emulate David, we become like David. It's not just that, that David is some sort of inspiration for us, but David actually fights as the Israelites. He doesn't just fight for the Israelites, he fights as the Israelites. He stands in their stead. The whole nation was like wrapped up into that one person, and when David wins, the whole nation wins. If David were to lose, the whole nation were to lose. We, we call that imputation, where the, the work of one is, is credited to another. And that is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus isn't just our champion to emulate. We need to be baptized into Jesus. We need to become one with him. We need to surrender ourselves. This is what we call faith. We need to surrender ourselves so that we can be in union with Christ. And he fights as our champion. This is what the writer of the Hebrews is saying in Hebrews chapter 2, that he is our archegos. He is our champion uh, who has brought all the victory to us. So here's the question, or here's the challenge. The, question, the challenge isn't, you know, can you be like David? That, that's not the challenge. The challenge is, can you be found in David? And not just David, but great David's greater son. And that is, we surrender to him. And then his victory becomes our victory. Look at verse 52. I love this verse. I mean, think about, think about the, the king, Saul, and, and incidentally, Jonathan. Jonathan's had some good moments in the story so far, but he was cowering. All the rest of the Israelites, you know, you think about them cowering in fear, and now they see David go forward, Goliath go down, and what does it say? Verse 52, they arose with a mighty shout. I mean, they are 
transformed. These willy-nilly little guys who, who would not step forward for 40 days while Goliath came out was defying the, uh, you know, the hosts of Israel, the God of Israel. Now they are transformed and they go out in the wake of their champion. And brothers and sisters, this, this, is, this is us in the story. Yes, we, we oftentimes, you know, can be cowering in fear, but, but the reality is we stand in the wake of our champion. And so we go out into all of these things that we're facing in life, whether it's old age or family problems or physical uh, disabilities or even the, the challenges that our world faces in terms of, you know, violence and poverty and war and all of these different things. We go out clothed in the armor of our champion. We go out with the armor of God. We go out with the sword of the Spirit. You know, we have a very similar story with the apostles. You know, before Jesus died and arose, they were the oligopistoid ones. They were the little-faithed ones. After Jesus arose and Pentecost came on and they were anointed with the Spirit, they had a boldness and a confidence. They rose with a mighty shout, and they were following after. Now, I want you to have that confidence. I, I really do. I know a lot of you come in here discouraged. You come in, you know, timorous, uh, you know, with temerity. I don't even know if timorous is a word. I just made that up. Uh, we come in with all sorts of, of vulnerabilities and weaknesses and all of that. And, and what the gospel wants to say is the Lord is our strength. And we go forward. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not battles to fight. They, they pursued the Philistines from Gaza to Ekron. And I'm sure some Israelites died that day. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that we're running in the wake of our Savior. That, that with our eyes on Him, we're trusting Him and we're, we're, we're going forward. And you may take a nick, a cut, a bruise. You may even die. But your champion is one. And the battle is over. And we ride forward with that confidence and that strength. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. You know, what do we believe? What do we know to be true? And how does it affect how we live? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you for uh, the way that it just opens us up. Uh, the different levels, the, the different layers of our heart but it also lays us bare right down to the bedrock, the only hope that we have, uh, that our souls are resting on the finished work of our champion, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you became us in order that we might become you, the righteousness of God, to your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.